0: How's it going? Hey. Uh, hey, it's still October. These last few days of October are very precious to me. Don't take those away from me. It's still, it's still October. Um, well, welcome. Welcome to the South Suburban Vineyard Church, like Tony said. My name is David Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. We always love to see new faces in the crowd. So if you're a first-time visitor here today, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. We also say to the people out in the world who aren't here today, welcome. We're glad that you're listening to us on our website and our podcast, and of course, you're always welcome to join us here on Sunday morning. Well, I have the privilege of continuing our current sermon series, Lessons from the Life of David. Uh, I'll tell you what, I've been really excited about this series for quite some time now. We've been preparing for it, we've been talking about it. I've been really, really excited about it because my whole life, I've, I've been drawn to the life and person of David that we find in the Bible. I mean, we're namesakes. I literally have my name because of that person in the Bible. And what I could say is that over the course of my life, I've, I've become very familiar with his life, and he has lived an incredible, incredible life. He was an incredible man, and actually knowing a little bit about his story, about his life, actually has um, kind of created some, some awkward moments in my life. And that's, how, how does that happen? He lived a really long time ago. Well, I, I grew up around church. Uh, my, both of my parents were pastors, and I would just, uh, they would introduce me to adults, or I would just, you know, as a young child, I would meet different adults around church, and as church, good church people do, they reference people in the Bible, and so they would meet me and say, oh, just like David in the Bible, and I would often think, because I knew quite a bit about David's life, I'd be like, are you talking about, like, the amazing worshiper David, the psalm-writing David, the conquering King David, the man who has had a go- his heart after God's own heart. Are you talking about that David? Or are you talking about the same person, but the guy who got one of his closest friends killed? The guy who stole his wife and committed adultery and had way more wives than he should have ever had. The guy who uh, did some pretty gnarly stuff along the way. And uh, I would ask myself, which David are you talking about? Uh, I don't really know how to take it in this moment. You know, of course, you know, they're well-meaning adults. They were just trying to be kind to a young boy. But it's, it's nice to think of David in his highlights, right? It's nice to think of this conquering hero, the psalm-writing guy who just beloved David. But what, he, at the very least we could say is that he lived a pretty complicated life. At times, it was pretty hard, really, really hard. At other times, this guy was just overwhelmed by the favor of God. And so we see this remarkable man with rather remarkable moments in his life. And thankfully it's written down in the, in the Bible so that we can learn some lessons from this remarkable man. And so we've taken several weeks to, to just kind of highlight a few of these moments. To learn some lessons from the life of David. But what we're also saying is throughout this series that there's a bigger lesson that we can learn as we look at the life of David specifically, and that is God sees us for who we really are. God sees us for who we really are. In other words, God looks at our hearts. It's the big lesson that we could see in the life of David. Listen, the, the world might try to peg us a certain way, might try to categorize us a certain way. We might even try to project ourselves in a certain way that is disingenuous to our hearts. But what we see is that God looks through all that, and he sees us for who we are. He looks at our hearts and at these different moments in David's life as we sort of highlight them. We see that God looks through all the circumstances, all the, all the extra stuff, the fluff, and he sees David's heart. And, he's, and, and, he's, uh, uh, and he loves it. He loves David's heart. Sometimes. Other times, he sees David's heart, and he disciplines him. And God looks at our heart. But the amazing thing is that at every single turn, God loves David through it. And that even though he looks at your heart, he knows what he did last night, he knows your long history, your long past, he knows the person that you really are, he loves you no matter what. He will love you to the day you die. And that is the big lesson that we see in the life of David. So today we're going to Look at one of David's most uh, famous moments in his life, one of his most notable moments. We're going to talk about his uh, his encounter with a giant named Goliath. Um, If you have never read a single page of the Bible, perhaps you have heard the names David and Goliath, right? It's the little guy versus the big guy, right? Or maybe you're like me and you've heard this story several times and you've heard it taught 12 different ways, Listen, I don't, I don't care where we are, how much story we think we know, I think God has something fresh for all of us today. And like I said, I mean, I'm pretty familiar with this guy named David. And I tell you, God spoke some, some really wonderful things to me and challenged me, really. It, this has been a very, very challenging week for me. So we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. I've titled today's sermon, Standing Up to Goliath. Standing up to Goliath. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1st Samuel chapter 17. The book of 1st Samuel is, in, is a book in the Old Testament, uh, which is kind of the first half of the Bible. Um, and uh, if you don't know where the book of 1st Samuel is, I suppose you can use the table of contents. But if you just start, uh, start flipping from the beginning, you'll, you'll hit it pretty soon. 1st Samuel chapter 17, standing up to Goliath. Listen, that, that might sound frightening, right? I don't know how many giants you like to stand up to, but it sounds incredibly frightening, and sometimes it even sounds impossible. But, but I think, as we look at the story of David and Goliath, I think that David shows us that we can stand up to Goliath, and not only that, I think that he shows us that maybe we should stand up to the different Goliaths in our lives. And um, so, 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse one, it's a really long passage. Uh, But I think it has some wonderful, wonderful things that we can learn from. At the very least, it is a very fascinating story, and it is a beautiful story, and uh, I'm excited about it today. Um, Before we get started, let let me just pray for our time this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you have brought us here on this day. It's not by accident, it's not by coincidence that we are hearing your word. God, I ask that you would teach us, I ask that you would challenge us. I ask you that you would move us from a place where we are to the place where you want us to be. God, we, in order to do that, we need your spirit. So, Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would come in this place. Come, Lord, soften our hearts so that we might receive what you want for us today. Lord, we ask for your blessing. We ask that the, that the word of the Lord would speak to us in fresh and new ways. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, um, please pardon the names that I will certainly mispronounce. <laughs> I try to practice at, I'm, I'm not anywhere close. Um, also, I'm going to be, just so you know, I'm going to be skipping a few verses for the sake of continuity. But we'll start in verse 1, First Samuel 17, starting in verse 1, it says, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose a man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, we will be your slaves. But if I kill him... You will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Verse 16. For 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in the field of the Israelite, in front of the Israelite army. I'm going to skip 17 through 22. Basically, David... uh, it tells us that David has three brothers who are out at the battlefront, and David is taking some supplies to him for his, uh, for his father. So starting in verse 23, he says, As he was uh, talking to them, Goliath, David was talking to his brothers, at Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the, that the giant, the man asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give the man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, Wait a minute, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he would be allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is a reward for killing him. But when David's older, oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Verse 29, what have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some, other, some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's questions, what question was reported to the king and the king sent for him. Don't worry about that Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or, or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns to me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this Philistine, a pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lions and bears will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then, armed with, only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Verse 41. Goliath walked... Out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you would come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and now grab, give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You have come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut your head off. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us, verse 48. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to him, reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine only with a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled out Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Wow, what an incredible story. <laughs> Thank you for uh, tracking with me. That was, that was a great, great story. I, I don't think I could have written it any better. Um, <clears throat> listen, that was a really long passage, and there's a lot of stuff that we could pull from. Listen, you give a preacher 51 verses. You might be here for a while, but I'm not going to do that to you today, okay? But I do want to, even though there's a lot that was said, I do want us to focus our framework of our talk on one big lesson this morning, and that is how do we effectively battle against and stand up to the Goliaths in our lives? How do we effectively battle against and stand up to the Goliaths in our lives? I looked it up this week, and according to Guinness, the tallest person is eight foot three inches tall. Uh, and according to my assessment, he actually looked pretty feeble. I feel like I could take him. Um, and I'm, I'm not anywhere close to that height. But obviously we're not talking about, you know, big monstrous bullies that sort of roam around and stomp their feet and yell taunts, right? So what are we talking about? What am I talking about when I say how defeating and standing up against a Goliath in our lives? Well, I think the Goliath in the story embodies something that I'll define this way. A Goliath is an overwhelming and often terrifying force that openly and directly opposes the will of God. Let me say that again. A Goliath is an overwhelming and often terrifying force that openly and directly opposes the will of God. We're talking about something big, something overwhelming, right? Something frightening. And maybe you're not shaking in your boots, but, you know, for the most part, people don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to stand up to these forces. They don't want to at all challenge these forces in our lives. But most importantly, a Goliath directly and openly opposes the will of God in our lives and in the world around us. And this is a really important distinction, because we need to understand that not every big problem is a Goliath. My mortgage is not a Goliath, okay? It's really big, and I don't like looking at the, at the statement when it comes in, but it's not a Goliath, right? Our relationships prob- relationship problems aren't necessarily Goliaths. Don't chase people around with a sling and try to cut off their heads, all right? We're not trying to do that. Our car trouble. Our tons of schoolwork, our finals weeks, right? Those aren't necessarily Goliaths. We're talking about something that spits in the face of King Jesus. It's a Goliath in our lives. And I think some of us are still having a hard time trying to figure out what what a Goliath could be. Listen, I think I think a lot of things can be a Goliath. And I would go so far as to say that I think a lot of things should be Goliaths in our lives. We just don't see them that way. We're not bothered by them. They walk around and they spit in the face of Jesus and they just go on their way. I think some of the cultural norms, the things that just are everyday around us, they just, they just go unchecked. Some of the, some of the, the dress, you know, the, the way people dress, some of the decisions that they make that go against the standards that God has set for us are Goliaths. I think some of the language that we just sort of commonly use and it's no big deal could be Goliaths. I think some of the media that we consume, listen, I don't even have to convince you of that, right? Things that challenge the living God and they go unchecked. I think some big things go unchecked. Poverty and injustice are Goliaths. Street violence and gangs are Goliaths. The mistreatment and exploitation of the weak The plight of the foreigner, the epidemic that is ruining so many lives of sex slavery. Those are Goliaths in our lives and in our world. I think the degradation of the family, the redefinition of what things are supposed to look like, the lowering of the bar that God has called us to, the standards that he has called us to, and the forces behind that, those are Goliaths. The general disregard for the sovereignty and the holiness of God its Goliaths. And I think we can encounter Goliaths on this massive, worldwide, sort of big sin level, but I think that there are some Goliaths in our personal lives. I think the hard heart of that atheist, outspoken atheist at work, could be a Goliath. I think the abusive person that spits in the face of the life that God had wanted for you is a Goliath. I think the close friends you have, maybe even some of the family that you have, who regularly challenge your relationship with Jesus Christ... Some Goliaths in your life. Maybe some of our addictions. Maybe some of the infatuations that we have with people. Maybe that false sense of identity that, that we just we just put out to the world and we're just so frightened by its imposing presence, and we don't want to challenge that false identity at all. We give it power. Even though it mocks the life that God wants for us. Could be a Goliath. Now, I've intentionally given a lot of time and a lot of examples of what a Goliath could be because I want us to move away from the idea that Goliath is just this ancient mythical or mystical character. And, you know, maybe we would ever see a Goliath. I don't know, maybe not. I think there are Goliaths all around us. Or maybe Goliaths should be all around us. At least we should recognize the Goliaths all around us. And maybe you connected with some of the things that I said, but maybe the Lord has already pressed upon you, has already revealed to you some of the Goliaths that you are standing up to, the things that you should be standing up to. And I think as we look at the life of David, we look at this story in particular, we see that we can stand up to them. We can. And I would go one step further and say that we should stand stand up to them. Now the big question is, how do we do that? How do we respond to the Goliaths in our lives? Let me first start by saying right off the bat that our response to a Goliath shouldn't be based on the perceived outcome of the scenario. Shouldn't be based on the perceived outcome of the scenario. Listen, there were some rather courageous people at Umqua Community College in Oregon who stood up to a Goliath, who challenged their... Christianity pointed a gun in their face and mocked their god and they died they responded appropriately they stood up to the goliath and they didn't they didn't live beyond that but that's that, that that's not what matters Listen, I don't want us walking out of here thinking, oh, if I just do these three or four things, then I'm going to see all these Goliaths fall around me. And if I just throw stones all over the place, you know, Goliaths are going to fall. Listen, God ultimately controls the outcome of the scenario, right? What we control is how we respond to the Goliath. Amen? Amen. So how do we do that? Well, when we look at the story of David, I think one of David's immediate responses to seeing and hearing Goliath out in the field is that he got upset. He got upset. How do we appropriately respond to a Goliath in our lives? Listen, I think we need, to, we need to allow ourselves to get bothered. Allow ourselves to get bothered by the situation. Goliaths in our lives parading around us, spitting in the face of Jesus, should bother us. It should bother us. Steve Nicholson, who has um, been a fantastic mentor... And uh, leader to this church, he's actually been serving and ministering and leading in the vineyard movement for decades now, recently told a story to a group of people that really, really struck me. He said, uh, we're talking decades ago, he said he heard, he heard some statistics that the nation of Turkey had few to no Christians in the entire country. We're talking about millions of people and there were no Christians. And what he said it really struck me, he said, and I took it as a front against God. I took, he took it personally. I mean, it really bothered him. And when I heard that story, I mean, it really struck me because I was forced to ask myself the question, man, what bothers me like that? That I would try to take on the, the Christendom of an entire country. Like, really, what, what bothers me like that? And I think there, there are some things that bother me. And I'm not sure I can make an equal comparison to Steve Nicholson, but I think, that, I think that his story helped me to clearly see some of the Goliaths that I do face and that I do stand up to. Listen, I get really, really bothered when men mistreat their wives, especially. When men mistreat women, I get really, really bothered. And I'm, in a, I'm, in a, I'm at a job and I'm in a, a field where, people, where it's just almost, it's the norm. Guys just try to dig as deep as they can and just slander their wives. And it just, and I stand up to it. It really bothers me. I also get really bothered when people who don't know God talk about Christians like they're idiots. It really, really bothers me, and I'm willing to stand up to it. I get really bothered when people try to misuse the Bible to suit their own needs. And I'm talking about the pseudo-religious people, and I'm talking about the super-religious people, Doesn't matter where you are. You try to use the Bible to suit your own needs, to gain your own advantage. I get really, really bothered, and I'm willing to stand up to it. Go to toe-to-toe with anybody who does that, because I think it's a front against God. It really, bo- really bothers me that the, the idea of the family and marriage is being redefined in our society. It really bothers me, and I'm willing to stand up to it. And my personal list of Goliaths can go on for a little ways. But I'll tell you what what also really struck me about Steve's story is that it highlighted all the many Goliaths that weren't on my list. They weren't on my list. And it hit me really, really hard. I feel like God highlighted to me all these different things that should be bothering me but that don't. I'm generally not bothered by how I eat and how I treat my body even though it is critical that how I eat and treat my body is critical to to, uh, fulfilling the things that God has called me to do in my life. And it's become a Goliath in my life. Frankly, over the years, I'm not bothered by some of the things I see on TV or watching movies. And this has become a really big issue for me. It's a Goliath in my life that I've just let trample all over me. I'm generally not bothered by the plight of the foreigner now it bothers me a little bit but it doesn't bother me the way that it should and I'm being honest with you you hear these stories in the media I just get really jaded I should be bothered a lot more than I am and God really, really is challenging me on that and this, of course this list can go on and on and on and on a lot of things that I should be bothered by so let me ask you, what bothers you? what bothers you? What things around you openly defy Jesus, and, and you just, it just gets down to your bones, and you just can't take it anymore? And let me ask you an equally important question. What doesn't bother you that should be bothering you? What's been allowed to just sort of stand out in the open and defy your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, completely unchecked? What should be bothering you? Here's the thing. Things in your life, things in my life, things in history, things in society typically don't change until someone gets bothered. Bothered to the point where they're moved to action. Nothing's going to change. The Goliaths will continue to roam around until we get bothered. How do we appropriately respond to a Goliath? We get bothered. And the next thing we see, David, as David moves toward Goliath, is that he has to navigate through obstacles. Navigate through obstacles. Listen, if you think that standing up to Goliath is going to be your only trouble, think again. It's more likely the case that before you even ever reach the Goliath you're supposed to stand up to, you're going to have to face some different obstacles along the way. And we see David doing this. We see David having to navigate three different obstacles before he ever gets to Goliath. And there are many more obstacles that you and I could face. But I think uh, these three things that David faces are somewhat common. And I'm going to kind of uh, break them down a little bit. But I think that we can learn a lot from how David responded to those different obstacles. The first obstacle that he faced, uh, that he had to get through, is the lure of wealth and favor. David had to navigate through the obstacle, of the lure of wealth and favor. In verse 25... One of, the, one of the men of the army said, Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Listen, let me say that this isn't necessarily a broad issue of temptation. What we see is the tension between two very different motivations. Why was David going to go stand out in front of Goliath? Well, on the one hand, these men are talking about significant financial blessings. We're talking about marrying a princess for Pete's sake, right? And likely, listen, if David is victorious, not only will he gain the favor of the king, he's probably going to instantly become the most impressive and, and well-liked person in, in all of the land. Look, that, that could be a, motive, a really strong and powerful motivation, Right? And on the other hand, no matter what the perceived benefit is, just simply Goliath is spitting in the face of God. And we see the tension between these two motivations. And I'm, I'm reminded when uh, Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. You got to pick one. They can't coexist. And so we see David being lured by wealth, lured by favor. And on the other hand, we see him just wanting to stand up for God. And I think this is a big deal. I think this is a big deal, and uh, this is something that I can struggle with. And I imagine a lot of people fall prey to this. I have to ask myself, and of course my more sober moments, when I'm not overcome by these things, why am I actually doing this? I I, I have asked myself that before and after I've come up to preach. Why am I actually doing this? When I've been invited to be a part of ministry teams, when I've been a part of the worship team up on stage, even when I go out and serve the poor, or when I go out and talk to people about Jesus, I have to ask myself, why am I doing this? Am I doing this so people would like me? People see how cool of a, a musician I am. People see how nice of a speaker I am. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this for something other than because the kingdom of God has not yet broken into that part of the world run. Why am I doing this? And I think a lot of us can struggle with this. Tension. Why do we stand up to a Goliath? This is a big deal because I think corrupting someone's motivation is a surefire way to derail their ability to be successful in battle. Let me say that a different way. Our motive, if our motivations are corrupted... It is a surefire way to lose against a Goliath. Amen? And this is something David had to navigate through. And I believe it's something that you and I will have to navigate through just about every time that we stand up to a Goliath. This is one of those universal obstacles that we'll probably always, always face. The second obstacle that we see right after that is pushback. Pushback, not just from anybody, from his own family. David enters the battle scene, he's, he's getting excited, he's getting hot and bothered by this, he's asking a bunch of questions, who is that guy? And who is trying to kick him off the battlefield? His own brother. His own brother. This is what he says in uh, verse 28, he says, But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Listen, how many of us can give examples of right at the moment when God is pushing us and moving us to the battlefront to to fight a Goliath, moving us to the place where we should be standing up to and we just get bothered and we're moved to action. Someone in our family, or someone in our close circle of friends tries to pull the carpet out from under us. How often does that happen? A spouse completely ignores these feelings and these, these emotions and this, this call that you feel like God has put on your life and they completely ignore it. In fact, they refuse to support it. And suddenly, instantly, I don't know how they came up with it, but they have ten reasons in their back pocket why it's a bad idea. It can happen. Are these quote-unquote wise friends at, are offering these challenging questions. Why do you care so much about those people dying halfway around the world? What does it matter? Why do you care so much about the poor and and the the impoverished on the other side of the highway? You're never going to see those people. What does it matter? Why do you care about that? Why do you care so much about the hard heart of that coworker that you have? Listen, he's a jerk anyway. Why do you care about that? And just when we feel like God is moving us toward the battlefront, people are trying to pull us out of the battle. Pushback. Pushback. The person that should have been David's biggest cheerleader, biggest biggest supporter, is the person who's trying to shove David off the battlefield. And I think the same thing can easily happen to us. When we're standing up to the Goliath, we should expect pushback. Expect it. So David moves past the obstacle of of his brother's rejection. He continues to talk to the other men about fighting Goliath and one of the uh, king's men hears about his questioning attitude. He's like, whoa. And uh, the king calls him into his presence and says, all right, maybe we've got one. So we see David's encounter with his third obstacle and that is disapproval from leadership. David's third obstacle that he has to navigate is disapproval from leadership. Verse 32 says, uh, David is saying this, Don't worry about that Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go out and fight him this is Saul's response. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. Listen, I think this means a lot. I think this means a lot when we get the blessing and approval of the leaders in our lives. Right? It means a lot when our parents have our back. It means a lot when our pastors and our mentors are supporting us. When our teachers are our biggest champion. Listen, when I feel like I have the support of the leaders in my life, I feel like I can conquer the world, right? I mean, I literally feel like I can go and do anything. And on the flip side to that, it can take you out of the game. When the leaders in your life, the people that you've trusted to lead you, to guide you, to support you, take that support away. Now, at the end of all this, let me just say very clearly, listen, I think the only permission or approval that you really need Is God's approval. People don't support you and God is clearly calling you to something. Don't let them stop you. But it still means a lot. It means a lot. And I think David knew he couldn't give up. Even though his leader did not approve of him, he needed to navigate through this obstacle. Saul disapproves of him. But verse 34 says, and listen, if you have a Bible, underline this, but David persisted, but David persisted. This obstacle didn't defeat David, and he persisted to plead with Saul to let him fight. He told him about all the reasons why he would think he would win, and in verse 37, Saul finally consented. All right, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. He gets the blessing of his leader. It's really, really important, and I think it can happen to us. I think it can happen to us. And so we see David having to navigate through these different obstacles. We see him having to navigate through the lure of wealth and favor, through the rejection of his family, through the disapproval of his leader. But how often do our obstacles start and end with us? We tell ourselves we're not strong enough. We're not big enough. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. Listen, an entire army Behind David had already convinced themselves that they were not good enough to stand before Goliath. It's a common thing to check ourselves out of the game. Even the king, King Saul, was not convinced that he could stand up to Goliath. And we convince ourselves, we convince ourselves to just sit out, that we don't belong in the battle. We, we tell ourselves we're too busy. We tell ourselves that we just need that one more thing. Listen, when I, when I get that job, or when I finally get money coming in, then, then I'll start doing something. When I finally, when things just start lining up, then I'll start fighting the battles of the Lord. Then I'll start standing up to Goliath. So often our, our, our biggest obstacles start and end right here, right in our mind. And we sit out. And the story teaches us That as we stand up to Goliath, we should not expect that there won't be any obstacles. We should expect to have obstacles and have to navigate through them in order to get to Goliath. No matter where they come from, whether they're coming from the people around us, from the different forces around us, or they're coming from our own minds and our own hearts, no matter what the scenario is, we need to be ready to navigate through the obstacles. Amen? Amen. So... So David gets bothered by the situation, he's having to navigate through these obstacles, and now he takes the next steps towards standing up to Goliath, and then he prepares for the fight. His next step is that he prepares for the fight. His preparation is actually very important, but I think because I think we can learn quite a bit from from it, even in these short few verses, the first thing is he actually prepares. He actually, you think, you, you see David, you think he's so zealous for the Lord. You think that he would just, this young man who feels like he's invincible would just run off into battle with just a shirt on his back. Right? I mean, I, I feel like I've done that sometimes in my life. But David recognizes that in order to stand up to a Goliath, then preparation is required. Preparation is required. And it's not just just that David prepared That's meaningful. It's how David prepared that's also very, very significant. As David was getting ready to stand up to Goliath, he prepared to fight by drawing from two very important things that I think you and I can draw from, and that is his experiences and his skills. He drew from his experiences and his skills. Listen, it might be the case that you and I might need to add a few things to our utility belt, so to speak. To be able to stand up to Goliath, David still had to go to the riverbed and pick up a few stones. There were still a couple pieces that were missing in order in his preparation. But the primary things that David drew from as he was preparing to fight Goliath were his own experiences and his own skills. This is important because I think it might be the case, it just might be the case that God has called you to fight your Goliaths because of your own experiences. And your own skills that you already have. It could just be the case that you are where you are because God has already been preparing you for this moment. It could be the case. I don't know. But it could be the case. And so David uses these to battle against Goliath. And I think we can too. So how does David draw from his past experiences? We read it in verses 34 to 37. I won't read it, but basically he says, he's telling Saul, listen, in, my, in, my, uh, in, the, in the fields when I'm watching the sheep, lions and bears come, try to come and get my sheep, and when they grab one, I chase it down, and I, and I grab it by the jaw, and I club it to death, and I save this, and, I, and then this is what he says, and I will do the same thing to that pagan Philistine. He says, I've already done this before. I've already been prepared for this. God has already taken me through a battle very similar, and I will do the same thing to that pagan Philistine. David recognizes that he can use his past experiences, his past confrontations, to battle against and probably win against Goliath. And I'm willing to bet that there are some things in your life, in your past, that have prepared you to stand against the Goliaths you face, some of your encounters. Some of your confrontations, some of your outright fights, some of the journeys that you've traveled on have prepared you to fight and stand up to your Goliaths. And I would also imagine that the Goliaths that you recognize in your life can be easily traced to some of the things that you've already gone to. It's no coincidence that the Goliath that just bothers you, the things that just bother you, are, uh, that, 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 just you. that is likely the case that you've gone through something like that. Let me give you an example from my own life. <clears throat> I grew up in a, si- a situation, uh, especially in my early childhood, where my family didn't have much. And we never went hungry, but I could easily say that we were very poor. Um, and uh, having gone through that, what I could say is that I can more effectively stand up to the Goliath of poverty maybe more effectively than someone else could, someone else who didn't have my story. I know what it feels like to be marginalized. I know what it feels like to be, quote-unquote, those people. I know what it feels like to live, wake up, and feel want, feel need, look over the fence, and just realize what I don't have. I know what it feels like to have a poverty mentality. And while my current situation is very different from that, my past experience would still allow me to more effectively stand up to the Goliath of poverty. Does that make sense? So listen, don't ever discount the power of your own personal experience as you stand up to a Goliath. David did it, and it helped him win the battle. Not only did David draw on his experiences, but he also drew on his own skills, the skills he already had. Right after Saul blesses David to go fight Goliath, he tries to fit David with his armor. Saul's trying to fit David with Saul's armor. And it's important to note, we don't read this in this story, but earlier in the book of Samuel, Saul is described as a man who is head and shoulders taller than everyone else in Israel. So you imagine this very tall, strapping man, probably with very broad shoulders, trying to fit his armor on this young man, 13-year-old it's just, the picture of it is kind of silly to me. Um, But as David is trying to prepare, Saul is basically trying to impose how he would do things onto David. And David says, and I'm thankful that he says this, he says, I can't use these things. I'm not used to this. I don't have these skills. I don't fit this form. This way of doing things isn't For me, and I think we can get into a lot of trouble if we don't do and we don't respond the way that David responds. Because listen, people are always going to try and tell us what to do, right? People are always going to try to fit us into their mold. They're going to try to tell us, hey, you want to fight that Goliath? Here's these five steps how to do that. And we get in trouble when we just say, okay. Maybe we read a very interesting article or this really popular book. It's like, aha, the five steps to defeating the Goliath. Yes, I found it. And we get into trouble. Or we can see someone else having success in their life. And even though our skill set doesn't match up at all with that other person, we think, oh, I could do what they did. We don't have those skills. We don't have those skills, and we get into trouble, and we get frustrated, and oftentimes we quit because we're losing the battle. And God never intended us to use that mold. And so David knows what skills he does have, and he uses them. And he picks up his shepherd's staff and his sling and five small stones, and he goes on his way. Let me give you a really practical example of what this could look like in our lives. And I think it's a beautiful example um, there's a, a wonderful community of believers, uh, Willow Creek Community Church. You may have heard of it, up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. They're fantastic ministry, bless so many different people throughout the Chicagoland area. One of the ways they do that is they have a ministry of mechanics, who take dead or dying or just straight up rejected cars, and they take it into their shop and they fix it. They fix these cars and get them running, get them working, and they give them free of charge, to people who could not otherwise uh, afford a car. And these mechanics are using their skills to stand up to the Goliath of poverty and injustice. And it's beautiful. They're not trying to be people that they're not meant to be. They're using the skills that they have to stand up to the Goliath. And they know what they can do, and they do it amazingly. And I've had some family members who have benefited from it. Listen, I think some of you have business skills. Some of you have music skills. Some of you have teaching skills or litigation skills or parenting skills that you can use to stand up to and maybe even defeat the Goliaths in your lives. Listen, don't ever discount the power of your personal experiences and don't ever, ever put put aside the skills that God has already given you. Don't ever do that. David did it. And we can learn from David by seeing what he used to fight Goliath. So David grabs his stuff. He walks down the valley and now he's standing face to face with Goliath. And this is where we can see the final lesson we can learn from that we'll talk about today. And that is when push comes to shove, David put all of his trust in God. When push comes to shove... When the rubber met the road, in the moment of impact, he put his trust in God. And this is what he says when he confronts Goliath. David replied to the Philistine, You have come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut your head off. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know. That there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. David didn't trust his staff. He didn't trust his sling. He didn't put all of his trust in his previous experiences. And, and you know, with the lion and the bear, where did he put his trust? He put his trust in God. He put his trust in God because he knows it's God who will ultimately decide the outcome of the battle. Right? And I just wonder do you do that? I had to ask myself that do I do that? Do I rely on my own cunning, my own wit, my own skills, my own experiences? Do I fight my own battles? Do you fight your own battles? Or do you put all of your trust in God? Listen, David had a lot going for him. He killed a bear with his hands. But he still put his trust in God. And at the end of it all, in the moment that it really mattered, he trusted the Lord. And he was able to successfully stand up to and defeat Goliath. How do we put all this together? And worship team, you can come up. How would you fare if a Goliath stood before you and mocked your God and your king? How would you fare? Let Let me rephrase that. How are you faring? How are you doing with the Goliaths that exist in your lives? Are you bothered by them at all? Do they move you to any type of action? Do they even get under your skin at all? Or are they just allowed to sort of roam around and do as they please? Are you overcoming the obstacles that that come in between you and the fight? Or do you let them defeat you and just let them let the obstacles put you on the sidelines? Are you preparing yourself well? Can you see how your experiences and your skills have actually prepared you for, for a moment such as this? Are you preparing yourself well? And finally, when push comes to shove, are you putting all of your trust in God? Are you trying to fight your own battles? Do these things get you upset and you do all these things and then you just try to do everything on your own? Are you doing that? How are you doing with the Goliaths in your life? We see David, the example of David is a beautiful example because he put all of his trust in the Lord and he used what he had and he, he was motivated to action and everything about David, he seemed to do it right. And we can learn, learn a lot from his example I think one of the most beautiful parts of this story is where we find Jesus in it. And don't go trying to read back. Jesus wasn't specifically mentioned. But I think Jesus Jesus is front and center in the entire story because Jesus is the perfect David. Jesus is the perfect David. He left his throne on heaven and entered the battlefield of this world. And stood up to the greatest Goliath that has ever been. That is the power of sin and death that has its foot on our throats every day of our lives. And he stood up to it, and he just couldn't stomach it anymore. And he challenged them, and he was moved to action. He was moved with compassion for the people who were frightened and terrified by sin and death and brokenness and destruction and disease. And he came. He entered the battlefield, and he had to navigate these different obstacles. Satan tried to lure him with wealth. And with favor. And he said, listen, if you just bow to me, I will give you everything. And David, Jesus had to overcome that. And he had to overcome the rejection of his family. Everybody rejected him. His brothers, his, his, his neighbors, his, the people he grew up with, his friends, they rejected him. Even after he showed them everything that he could do. And the leaders of the community disapproved of him. The people who were supposed to be the watchmen on the wall waiting for the Messiah to come. They completely disapproved of him, but Jesus persisted. But Jesus persisted, and he gave up of himself, and he stood before Goliath, and at the cross he, he he died so that he might defeat the power of sin and death in our lives for all of eternity. And he was raised to new life by the power of God, so that we wouldn't have to fight that Goliath. We wouldn't have to stand up to it because we would lose. And Only he could fight that Goliath. And now we have opportunity because of Jesus being the perfect David, standing up to the biggest Goliath. We have the opportunity to spend all of eternity with our Father in heaven, to live the life that God had always wanted us to live, to be the people that God had always wanted us to be because of the power and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He did that for you and he did that for me. Would you accept that free gift? Would you accept that free gift of God's love through Jesus Christ on the cross? Listen, we, we, got, we got some things to do. Go and fight the Goliaths around us. And We see David as a beautiful example on how to do that. But Jesus Christ is, is the perfect David. And we need him to fight Goliaths, don't we? Let me pray for our time this morning. God in heaven, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to fight the biggest Goliath and win. He was victorious. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that we now have purpose in your kingdom, that we now have value before you, and we could stand before you as beloved sons and beloved daughters. I thank you that Jesus paid the price to make things right. Lord, be Because of that love, it's because of that love that we ought to stand up to the Goliaths that we can stand up to. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to do that in every way that David was able to. I ask that we would be able to stand up to the Goliaths that you've called us to. I ask that you would help us not fight the Goliaths we're not supposed to fight, but fully fight the Goliaths that we're supposed to. Lord, would you bless us in everything that we do? God, I ask that you would continue to sink your word, deeper and deeper into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, we need you, we love you, we worship you, and we thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.